Dear Heavenly Father, we come before you once again as a church. On Sunday morning, we have taken our time to be here, to assemble together. And Lord, our, our prayer is that our worship would be acceptable in your sight. Lord, we pray that we would not only sing the songs today, but Lord, that we would live them each and every day of this coming week. We ask that you would be with the special music, the preaching, Lord, the invitation, the offering, every part of this service, that your name would be lifted up. Lord, that we would give you what is rightfully yours. That is our heart and our soul and every ounce of strength in our being. Help us, Lord, to love you today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Please remain. And let's go to Philippians chapter 3. Philippians chapter 3. Uh, what should be a fairly familiar passage of Scripture. And uh, Today we're going to try to stick with one verse for the most of our, our time together. And that is verse 14 of Philippians chapter 3, verse 14. It says, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. One more time. I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Now, no one single verse uh, should be pulled out of context. It has to stand in the verses that surround it, and and the message is understood. But uh, as, as I was contemplating all of the things that uh, are going on today, tonight is our annual business meeting, and this is something that we do once a year, uh, primarily... Uh, to keep the state of New York happy. They have uh, regulations. There's an awful lot of, of um, well, uh, just an awful lot of dishonesty going out there. In fact, people use uh, church organizations. They buy a house, uh, and then they say they're holding church in there, and the only people that come are family members, and, and they get the property tax exempt and things like this, and then take out loans and Leave town, and it's a, it's a terrible thing. It goes on all the time. And so, the, the Bible tells us that we need to have a good testimony toward those that are without. And that's why uh, we uh, abide by these regulations and, and guidelines of the state of New York, is we want people to understand that what goes on at this church is honest and right, and, and uh, but... Much more importantly than that, we, we've got another job, we've got another goal in sight, and that's what Paul's talking about here. He says that I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Now, this is what we as a church are trying to do, is it not? Paul was writing to the church at Philippi. He's saying, listen, I want you to, uh, in just a few verses, he's going to say, I want you to follow my example. I want you to, uh, in, in uh, uh, verse uh, 15, the very next verse, he said, Let us, therefore, as many as be perfect, be thus minded. If in anything ye be otherwise minded, God shall reveal even this unto you. Now, we don't have time to go through the whole context here, but what Paul's talking about here, he said, this is what's going on in my life. This is my direction toward Jesus Christ. This is where, uh, if we want to put it in the modern day vernacular, he said, this is where I'm investing my life effort. Sometimes you ought to just think a little bit uh, every one of us has a, a certain number of hours, a certain uh, uh, level of strength. This is our life force. And uh, 
it, this, is, this is the same whether you're saved or unsaved. You only have so much strength you can give. You only have so much life that, that you can live. Now, how are you going to invest that? How are you, where are you going to expend it? Are you going to spend it chasing after things of this world? I believe it was Mr. Rockefeller. Somebody said, how much money is enough? At that time, arguably, he was the richest man in the world. And uh, he said, just another dollar. You know, he, what, he rich people aren't dumb. I mean, he did understand that he was held in the throes of this vast fortune that he had inherited and he had built upon. But he also understood that no matter how much he had, it'd never be enough. You... Chase after the things of this world. Paul said, I'm pressing toward the mark. I press toward the mark. And there's a reason for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. And what he says in in verse 15, he said, let us therefore, again, context. This is talking to the church and the people that are in it. As many as be perfect. Now, that is a word that has been so misused and abused that it's absolutely meaningless in modern English. What what does the word perfect mean? Is you take a test and you do not miss one question on the test. You get what is called a perfect test. Score. But then they have extra credit. How do you get 106% on a test? I I mean, I I don't get that. Uh, But people uh, do things. There's always something more to attain to. I mean, I'm sure you've seen uh, uh, different people. They'll list uh, their degrees after their name, and uh, uh, one preacher said, "I mean, he had enough degrees to make a thermometer, uh, just one right after the other." And, and uh, yet, unless you're applying for some kind of super specific job, when is the last time somebody asked you about your degree, Brother Franz? You went through an awful lot to get your degree while you were teaching. Have they asked you about it since? No, they don't care. See, what they really do care about is whether you can teach or not. What they really care about is whether you can do the work that you're trying to get accomplished. Now, Paul says, let us, therefore, as many as be perfect. Do you understand what Paul is saying here? He's saying, I'm perfect. Now, did Paul mean that he had reached a state of sinless perfection and never did anything wrong? Absolutely not. That is an invention of man's imagination. That, That thought, that idea is so foreign to the Word of God that anybody that would try to attach it to the Word of God, I, I would have, uh, uh, extreme questions about their understanding of every doctrine in the Bible. We, we've just gone through 1 John uh, in, our, in some Sunday nights and Thursday nights, and we'll hopefully be finishing that book on, on uh, the next uh, several Thursday nights. But it says, if we say we have not sinned, we make God, we make Him a liar. And the truth is not in us. So what does Paul here mean by being perfect? And and he uses that plural personal pronoun there. uh, And he is implying that there are people at the church at Philippi that have achieved this same level that are where he is talking about what he means by being perfect. He's not talking about sinless perfection He's not talking about reaching a state where you cannot do error. Probably the easiest illustration to give 
And every time I give it, people look at me like, oh, you're, you're just lowering the meaning of the word. No, you have to understand the word perfect means complete. Not missing any part. How many of you like putting puzzles together? How many of you like those really complicated ones where you cannot tell where the piece goes? Now, if you do, don't raise your hand. But I, I enjoy puzzles to a point. The, the problem is, my favorite part of a puzzle is the last piece. How many are with me on that? And, and sometimes it just isn't very much fun to get from first piece to last piece. But uh, when you finally get that thing done, then one of the little ones come along and tear it up. And you go, no, it took so many hours to put that together. But the word complete means no pieces missing. Complete. Paul was saying, listen, I'm not missing anything in Christ. There's no pieces missing. Now, if you want to stop for a minute as as we're in our introduction this morning and just think. In my service for Christ, is there something missing? Is there something that's not right? Is there something that needs to be fixed? Most of us could fill in that blank with more than one thing. If you agree with me, just go like this. You don't have to raise your hands. We're we're all guilty here. Paul is saying, listen... If you are complete in Christ, if you are doing what is talked about in verse 14, this is how you're going to be thinking. And if you're not thinking this way, God is going to show you that you ought to be thinking this way. This is the context. You see... The writer of Hebrews has likened uh, the, the Christian life to running a race. And, of course, every commentator in, uh, uh, in the world goes to the Greek Olympic Games like they invented running. I'm sorry. Uh, people have been running and competing against each other. Since the beginning of time. I mean, this is just human nature, is it not? And games are a whole lot better than battles. Amen? And, uh, but we're not in a game. We are trying to live, amen? And and Paul says that there's, he's implying here that there are some people in the church of Philippi of which he offers no uh, actual criticism of the church at Philippi. There is no point, like in in 1st and 2nd Corinthians, it's verse after verse. You have this problem. Now let me tell you how to solve it. And you have this problem, and you have that problem, and you have so many problems. And... He doesn't say that to the Philippian church, but he says, listen, as many of you that are with me, this is how we ought to be thinking. I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. This is what ought to be in our mind. And, of course, there's a pretext to this verse that we're going to get to in just a moment. He said, and if you're not... If you are among those that think that this uh, this thought process, this idea here, this understanding, this motivation of life 
is for the preacher or for those that are studying for the ministry. He said, God is going to show you that you're wrong. Dead wrong. That you need to get what's going on up here fixed. Because until you do, you're not going to be a part of what is happening at the church. And what is supposed to be happening at the church. How the church is supposed to work together. And we go back and pick up the, the pretext, the, 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 uh, the things that lead up to this summary verse, which is verse 14. And uh, we come down here to uh, verse 7, and it says, But what things were gained to me, those I counted loss for Christ. Now, this is a problem that certain people have a far greater difficulty with than others. If you'll read the first six verses here, Paul starts listing all of the things he counted lost for Christ. Paul was not some hayseed, uh, ignorant guy that had no bearing and no understanding and no natural talents. And, and Paul was an exceptional person. In fact, it was Paul that would tell the Corinthians, not many noble, not many mighty, not many wise. Well, arguably, Paul qualified for all of those things. He was a Pharisee, the son of a Pharisee. He was a Jewish man of the tribe of Benjamin. King Saul was from the tribe of Benjamin. He was remotely related uh, to King Saul because he was of that tribe. Uh, He was a Hebrew of the Hebrews. The Bible tells us as touching the law, blameless. How many of you think you could quote the Ten Commandments? Don't don't raise your hand, but just stop for a minute. How many of you think you could quote? Well, yeah, okay. Um, Thou shalt have no other gods before me. Thou shalt not make... No, no, I'm talking about... uh, uh, Go to Exodus chapter 20, Deuteronomy chapter 5. And read through those things. I doubt one of us in this auditorium, myself included, could quote that passage word for word out of your Bible. Yet Paul could start at Genesis 1-1 and go to Deuteronomy and quote every verse. Paul memorized... Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. I want you to understand this. You've got to get this. You're going to miss it. Before he was saved. I would dare say the Apostle Paul had a working knowledge of the, New Te- of the Old Testament that would far surpass any of us in this room, up to the point of believing in Jesus as his Savior. Because he was unsaved. There are 613 laws in the Old Testament law recorded in the books of Exodus and Leviticus and Numbers and then summarized once again in the book of Deuteronomy. And Paul said... You can check all 613 and you could not find that I had broken one of them. That's a pretty amazing claim. But I want you to understand he was unsaved. He did not have a saving relationship with the God of the Bible and yet he was still able to accomplish all of these things in And for his religion. And we get to verse 7 and he is explaining the pretext, the uh, the build up to verse 14. He says, those I counted loss for Christ. You know, we live in an age where it is expected of a preacher, of a church, 
to make you feel comfortable. To soothe the soul. To, you know, if I go, if I, if I wanted to, to, uh, uh, to be told how rotten I am, I'll go to the world, but I, I want to come to church and hear good things. That, that's what the world expects. That's why Joel Olstein has tens of thousands of people that come to his church, literally assembled together there. I think 20,000 on any given Sunday in one place at one time. And who knows how many Tens of thousands watch him every uh, time his television show is on. And yet, what is it all about? You need to realize your inner champion. Well, can I tell you which side your champion is on? Your inner champion is the son of the devil. You don't want to realize that. Some people, somebody, oh, the, the new thing is follow your heart, which is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? Don't follow your heart. The fool desired to know his own heart. Solomon said that. Paul said every talent, every ability, every skill, every thought process, every good thing that had happened in my life, I had to count it but loss so that I could have Christ. You know, we often have this idea that God can use my talents. In fact, that word in the Bible, talent, is there. And people say, yes, yes, God's given each of us different talents. No, th- that word is simply a denomination of weight. A talent is 75 pounds of silver. Now, how many of you wish you had lots of talents, huh? $40 an ounce, that's not a bad idea. But again, we're not here to seek the things of this world. But I I want you to understand something. If you don't take who and what you are and count it loss, you're never going to get perfect like verse 14 is talking about. God doesn't want your talents or your abilities. He wants your soul. But you have to understand your soul is so worthless that in order for him to take it, he's got to throw everything away. That's why he must be born again. Can we say amen to that? You see, God wants to give you a brand new life, not tainted with what you think your strong points are. Not chained or bound to what you believe you have special ability in doing. Because anything good that you think about yourself is a hindrance to serving God. Is is a blinder, in fact, when we start talking about the verse in question. And that's why Paul uses some very unusual language in here that is... Uh, most commonly misunderstood in verse uh, uh, 10, uh, he says that I may know him in the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being made conformable unto his death. If by any means I may attain unto the resurrection of the dead. Paul says, listen, and that sentence goes all the way back up to verse 8. He goes through and he lists everything and he says, I count it all but dung that I may win Christ. To be found in Him not having my righteousness, but having His righteousness. That I can know Jesus and the power of His resurrection. 
that I can be made conformable unto His death, that there's no more Paul left. Only Jesus. He says that I can attain to the resurrection of the dead, meaning that I want to be there in heaven, assembled with God. And people read this verse and they say, well, see there, Paul, Paul wasn't sure about his salvation. He's still striving to attain it. No, you've got to read the next verse. He's trying to let us see. Paul is trying to be transparent here. He's trying to let us see in his soul and what is going on in his mind and in his heart. How he thinks about his relationship with Christ. And when he finally summarizes everything that's going on in verse 14, he moves to verse 15. And he calls that being perfect. And so I want to challenge you that that we need to move toward this thing that Paul says, this, this understanding of life. And by the way, I hope I don't let the word mindset slip out of my mouth. I despise that term. It is modern day philosophy. It is really very foolish. How many of you have ever set your mind to something? New Year's resolutions? How long do they last? Till the first cheesecake. Listen, we're not here talking about mindset today. We're talking about a heart direction. We're talking about a motivation of the soul. And we start here in verse 12, not as though I had already attained, either were already perfect, but I follow after, if that I may apprehend that for which also I am apprehended of Christ Jesus. Now, here's what he's saying. He's saying, I am working to apprehend. Now, that word apprehend means to get a hold of. Uh, I think there's a couple of two or three guys running around loose in California that uh, the police desperately want to apprehend. Uh, I believe they've already arrested ten or more people that helped them get free. Uh, it's an amazing story about that thing, how that all came together, just like the, the two escapees here upstate New York a while back that elicited that incredible manhunt uh, uh, that went through there. And the police desperately wanted to get a hold of these men because when they're out in society, they're going to hurt people. They're going to do wrong things. People's lives are in danger Do you understand that if you don't apprehend these things that are spoken of in the Bible, if you don't get a hold of them, your life is going to count for nothing. We have people that all the time go through what's called a midlife crisis. You know what a midlife crisis is? It's waking up too late and realizing you've wasted everything that you thought you had. No Christian has an excuse for a midlife crisis if they'll understand that we're trying to apprehend the things that are spoken of in this Bible. Now, none of us are sinlessly perfect, are we? That's not what the word perfect means. Maybe this illustration would help. It's on the right road, not taking the wrong exit. Does that make sense? It's not that the road is perfect. It's not even that your driving is perfect. It's the fact that you're on the right road, that you have not exited the direction that God has for your life. You are trying to apprehend that. We will never have a hold of it. Sometimes uh, I I feel as a pastor uh, like 
the, uh, the mean old man at the end of the row of candy stores. And all the kids are coming up down the row and they're going, oh, yeah, candy, candy. And I'm the guy on the end of the line saying, don't go in there. It'll rot your teeth out of your head and it'll make you weak and make you sick. You need to have what's good for you. Broccoli. Even President Bush would get out of line. Listen. This is the only thing in life worth getting a hold of. Can we say amen to that? And you're never going to get it all. That's why Paul says, this is his mind. He said, listen, every good thing that I had, and if it was obtainable, I had it. I had to count loss for Christ. I had to to be utterly repulsed by every good thing about me so that I could be made conformable unto his death. And I have to realize that I'm never going to get what I'm trying to get a hold of because I can't get it. Until I leave this life and end with Jesus Christ. But I want you to get this second part here. You see, I'm reaching out. It's not for the carrot on the end of the stick. It's not for some unattainable goal. I remember when I was a student studying the saxophone, I had a very good teacher. And he told me, he said, now listen... He said, you can get an easy piece for competition and just play it. He said, or you can get an incredibly hard piece. He said, you may not learn it all, all the way, but you'll go so much farther than you ever would have otherwise. Well, I still have the piece. Thirty-some years later, almost forty years later, and I still haven't learned it all. And probably never will. You see, that's not what we're talking about here. You see, I'm reaching out for something that already has me. Do you get it? Look what it says there in verse 12. I follow after the second half of the verse, if that I may apprehend. Okay, so I'm following after. I understand I haven't gotten it. And I'm trying to apprehend it. I'm trying to catch it. That for which also I am apprehended of Christ Jesus. He says, I'm trying to live the Christian life the way God wants me to. But Jesus Christ already has a hold of me. I'm never going to get the things that I believe that I need, but I actually already have everything in Jesus Christ. I'm saved. I'm sanctified. I'm sinless in the eyes of God. But if I am to... Just sit back on my blessed assurance and enjoy what God has done for me. I'm never going to accomplish anything in my life. And Paul says, I'm apprehending that. I'm seeking after. I'm trying to get something. But Christ already has me. And then verse 13 Brethren, I count not myself to apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before. Now we get to verse 14. He says, I don't consider myself to have gotten it. I know Jesus has me. But this one thing I do, I forget those things that are behind And I'm reaching forth unto those things which are before. How many of you have ever attained a goal? 
I remember Andrew calling me and saying, I want to I wanna take some of the master classes at Heartland. And I said, yeah, I, I believe that they would really be a benefit to you, several classes for sure. I said, go talk to Dr. House and see what he says. And Dr. House said, listen, why do you want to do it halfway? Why can't you do the whole thing? Well, how am I going to do that? And, and he helped Andrew plan to get six years' work done in five. And Andrew called and said, this is what Brother House said. I said, you need to go for it. He said, it's going to stretch you. It's going to bring you to the breaking point. Amen? But it will be good for you. And you know what? It worked. He not only graduated, his diploma was in the holder. That means all the work was done. And that's a good thing. But you know something? That wasn't the goal. The goal was being in the ministry. But you see, that's not the goal. The goal is being in the ministry 30 years from now. And pushing my wheelchair around. And he's the pastor of the church. But that's not the goal. Because while he's pushing my wheelchair around, hopefully... I'll be, have enough effort to have a little bit of input into it, but we need to be training the guy that's going to take his place. You see, the goal is being faithful till Jesus comes back. You see, that's why we got to forget those things which are behind. And reach out to those things which are before. Unlike the world in which you live. I don't care about which profession there is out there. You can pick any profession you want. But there comes a time when you can't go any higher. You've reached the pinnacle. If you are a teacher of high school subjects and you are teaching in high school, well, guess what? There you are. You're not going any higher. If you're a plumber and you have your license in New York City, well, guess what? You're a millionaire. Guaranteed. You know what those guys charge? That's why they want that little piece of paper. It's worth a fortune. But there's only so many ways you can run pipe and not get put in jail for it. Right? There is no ceiling to your service for Christ. There is no limit. You do not have to worry about becoming too much of a Christian. You can't do it. It's not possible. And so you've constantly got to reach that secondary marker and put it behind you. And all of a sudden there's a new one in front of you. There is no end to the challenge of serving Christ. Now, this is what Paul's saying here. We're through the introduction. Try to have the message done in the next ten minutes, okay? You see, he says, I press. Now, that word press, let me just read the definition. Oxford English Dictionary. To act upon a body with a continuous force directed towards or against it, the body by or through the force which is exerted, being in contact with that 
acted upon. Do you get that? It's the exhortation, it's the action of a continuous force connected with another body. You take an iron, you put a shirt on the ironing board, and you press it. There is a continuous action. Uh, The goal is to have a wrinkle-free shirt, unless you iron wrinkles into the shirt, which can be done. It says here to exert a steady force against something in contact by weight or by other physical agency or voluntary effort in any direction to subject to pressure. To press the button was the example they used. So it's got to be a continuous, steady, contact pressure. That's what the word press means. Do you know when you can take a break from pressing toward the mark? When you get to heaven. Those who are supposed to know these things tell us that when you're working, you need breaks. You need to step away from the work. You need to rest and you will be much more engaged and able to accomplish work. Isn't that what the philosophy of the world says? And, and in many ways they are correct, but in the Bible it's not correct. Have you ever tried to roll something very heavy uphill? What happens when you take a break? It rolls back down the hill. You've just lost everything that you have put forward. You see, you don't need a break from pressing toward the mark because when you take a break, you lose everything that you just gained. It's got to be continuous. By the way, you cannot maintain a continuous effort, can you? How do we do that? Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. Not as though I'd already attained. He said, I'm forgetting those things which are behind. I'm reaching forward. There is no end. To take a break from pressing toward the mark is to take a sin break. And that's not going to help anything. It's going to be to stop serving Christ. People say, I just, I just want to get on a little vacation where I don't have to worry about the Bible or anything. I can just be me. Well, wouldn't it be far better if just being you was pressing toward the mark? That's what Paul's talking about here. A continuous contact action. You never need a break from being a Christian. You never need a break from serving Christ because it's getting rid of you and serving through His effort. That's what the word meekness is. And then it says, I'm pressing in a direction toward the mark. Oh, commentators. Boy, they have so much fun with this thing. How many of you know what it means to press toward a mark? You set a mark. And you start walking toward it. That's, that's all there is to it. Uh, they can talk about the games and the finish line all they want. But that's not what this... This is talking about real life effort. Well, what is the mark? And I remember reading one commentary. It said, Paul seems to put a difference between the mark and the prize. Uh, yeah. What, what is the mark? 
And I read one commentary and said, what is the mark? And I read on and said, okay, good, they're going to answer the question. There was no answer to the question in the commentary. They just raised it and seemed to imply that Paul had no idea what the mark was. Good night. How many of you know what the mark is already? Raise your hand if you think you know. Uh, Look at verse, I'm sorry, um, verse 8, last phrase, that I may win, what's the the word there? Christ. Uh, Could that be the mark? The writer of Hebrews says, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. Paul said in Galatians, I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me, and the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. The mark is not the law. The the mark is not being looked at by other people and said, oh wow, you're a good Christian. The mark is not trying to do something good to help someone else. The mark is Jesus Christ. That's the mark. That's why you'll never attain it. That's why you can never reach it in this life. But should you stop reaching toward the mark? Absolutely not. You see, Paul is trying to help us Understand what a perfect mind in Christ does. It's getting rid of me. It's not looking at my abilities and my talents. It's pressing toward the mark. Trying to get closer to Jesus. How many of you remember the struggle in your soul that happened before you got saved? The God seemed so far away and it's so unattainable and you had no idea. And then you realized that Jesus had done everything and you just gave up and trusted him. I like the way one preacher put it. He said, I took one little step toward God. And he took one big step toward me and bridged the gap. See, that's the way it works when I press toward the mark. You see, it says, I press continuous force in contact with the object that we're trying to press. So I am pressing, by the way, that personal possessive, I mean that personal pronoun there, I, means I'm the responsible party for the action. Now, can I make myself move toward Christ? Can I overcome my sins? Can I make myself a lovable person? Said, well, I had some questions until you got to that last one. Now I know, no, you're saying no, right? You see, I can't do any of those things. Only Jesus can. But as I press toward the mark, which is Jesus Christ, He starts getting rid of all those things and transforms me conforms me to the image of a son. Last Sunday's sermon, to them who are the called according to his purpose, his purpose is to conform me to the image of his son. Can we say amen? Or do I need to start over again? Oh, it got really quiet then. We'll, We'll get done on time. You see, there's a prize Here's what the prize is. 
of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. That's the prize. The prize is to accomplish what God wants to accomplish with my life. That's the prize. We call it being obedient to the will of God in my life. That's the prize. I hope we don't have any conspiratorialists out there today. You know, black helicopters and the Illuminati and all those stupid novels and what is that, Bilderbergers? If all that sounds like total confusion to you, just go like this. Good. If you understand exactly what I'm talking about, you're in trouble. Let me tell you something. There, there's no conspiracy or conspirators in this world that can overcome what God wants to do in your life. There is a conspiracy in this world. It's called God's will. And it is going to be done by God one way or the other. You will choose to bow your knee willingly and confess Jesus as Lord, or just before the demons drag your soul off to the the lake of fire that burneth with fire and brimstone forever and ever, you will bow your knee and confess that Jesus is Lord. Every tongue is going to do that. That's chapter 2 of this very book. But God's plan is bigger than you are. But He's got things that He wants you to do and He's under no obligation to explain to our puny little minds the whole plan of God when we don't take care of the little things that we could do each and every day. Could we say amen or oh me, please? That's the sermon this morning, right there. Stop worrying about the big plan. Stop worrying about when the black helicopters are going to show up. Stop worrying about all these things and press toward the mark. Toward Jesus Christ. Because it's far more important to do what God wants you to do with your life than anything else that you could imagine. And you know what? I get pressed, you get pressed by all the circumstances and things around us. I was on the phone with one of the directors at Landmarks and Preservations about the Union Baptist Church building. We're trying to move and all of this. And she goes, my, I guess you're pretty busy. I said, yeah, we're... We haven't quite got to run in circles, scream and shout, but we're heading that way awful fast. And she thought that was kind of funny. And uh, I'd rather joke about it than cry about it. Amen. Uh, but we all get pressed by things and everything just comes in on top of our head. And you know what the first thing that we want to do when that happens? Is we want to think about ourselves a little bit. And we stop pressing toward the mark. And what we've accomplished undoes itself. And we've got to start all over again. Well, maybe not all over again by God's grace, but you know what I'm talking about here. See, Paul says, those things that were gained to me, I counted loss for Christ. He said, I'm reaching forth to those things. I'm trying to apprehend that which already has me. I'm saved. I know I'm saved. I'm going to be in heaven. I'm going to be conformed to the image of Christ. I'm going to be all of those things that God has promised. But I'm not there yet. 
And so I got to stop thinking about how important I can be in God's plan. And start pressing toward that mark. Asking that God would make me fit in to his immense, incredible plan that spans every molecule in this entire universe. To fulfill that calling. It's a high calling. We don't have time to talk about how high that calling is. But the fact that the God of heaven has directed you to salvation and wants you to serve him. You cannot have a higher calling. You would be stepping down to be the emperor of the world. When all God wants you to do is to be a part of a local church and not be in charge. When what God wants you to do is to be a good father at home and a good mother at home. When God wants you to be nice to those lovely little monsters in the nursery at church on Sunday morning so everybody else can hear. When God just wants you to do your little things not looking at you, but looking at Jesus instead. And when we all do that, guess what? We're perfect. And if you're not perfect, God will straighten you out if you just let Him. So that we can walk together, so that there can be unity, so, so that we can see God continue to do. I mean, I'm excited about the business meeting tonight. I know things you don't. You're not going to believe some of the things that the Lord's done through our church this year. Absolutely incredible. I'll give you just one, then we need to close. But our uh, total income, now this does not count. Money that we handle for the Baptist Church Planners Fellowship. This does not count any support that Brother Newberger has raised for himself and, and for his salary and things. Uh, this doesn't count any of the money that we've uh, borrowed for Union Baptist Church. But just our little church right here, just in our missions and our general running, we, we raised... We gave over $350,000 last year. Now, look around you. There are no rich people in this auditorium this morning. To, to be thinking about something like that, that's, that's over a third of a million dollars right here. Now, it took us a whole year to do it. But I don't know about you. That's miraculous, is it not? How many would say praise the Lord? You see, some people were pressing toward that mark. I got a call from a preacher and he said, Well, Brother Montora, I know that our little check for $5,000 isn't much in the scope of this whole project. I said, Brother Roosevelt, that's not true. I said, you, you and I preached this all our lives. If everybody did what they were supposed to do, we'd have so much we wouldn't know what to do with it. He started laughing. He said, that's so true. Well, you know, some of us have an easy time doing some great thing where people look at us. And an impossible barrier to doing the little things that are really important that nobody but God is watching. That's pressing toward the mark. That's the prize of the high calling of God. From his throne in heaven, through Jesus Christ to you personally. Would you fulfill that calling 
That is the ultimate good that any human being can attain to. But it's going to lower you in the sight of other human beings. In the sight of yourself. But that's okay if my eyes are on Jesus. And all God's people said. Dear Heavenly Father, we come before you this morning. Lord, I pray that the great truth of this verse would not be hindered by the preaching, the message this morning, that we could see that, Lord, there's just so much that you want to accomplish. So many great things, but we've got to get out of the way. You don't need us, Lord, but you've called us. And you want to use us. Lord, I pray that you take our business meeting tonight in the hearts of our people here. And Lord, that you would help us to be perfect like Paul was. On the right road. Not missing the parts, the things that you would have active in our lives. Please, Lord, open our eyes to see. And let us commit once again to the words of the Apostle Paul to press toward the mark For the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Andrew Cook.